good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whenever you're listening to this. This is Molecules and Shit, and this is a science podcast. I'm your co-host, P-Funk, at P-Funk Around on Twitter, and I'm joined by your host, Koki Negra. Doctor? Sir. All right. So, how was your week first? Uh, I've already had three or four catastrophes on my new job so fine oh okay so new job new problems all right that's basically a summary of your week yeah (laughs) and we're excited today because uh we have a guest yay yeah we got a guest all right sir we'll we'll let the people know who are you and where are you from well my name hey this is this is uh mark carter living in chattanooga tennessee i own a company called mc squared and we work with bunch of different folks on on startups in uh really in the biotechnology area right helping to develop tests and things like that hmm. but i've got a long and sorted microbiology background that goes anywhere from being a clinical and public health microbiologist all the way to being a ceo of a lab company and a couple of other stops in between hmm. so yeah now i'm just kind of kind of doing my own thing again and uh looking forward to having this conversation all right, so uh, tell me again, the focus of your company is? It's technology. It's really early stage technology development. So this goes for folks who are making diagnostics, basically for um, bacteria, uh, viruses, things like that. Oh, okay. If you think of, or any, or any type of technology that goes along to capture them, identify them, anything that goes with the process of getting to the end point of a diagnosis, or identifying uh, an organism, we, we've worked on stuff like that. Okay, so your primary customers would be like hospitals and other labs, right? Other labs, and like a lot of the companies that develop diagnostics. I have a couple that I work with now that uh, that uh, have worked worked to develop certain types of diagnostics, both you know molecular or uh, immunological tests and things like that. You know, so yeah, you you name it. Anybody who uses a test for something that's going to be diagnostic, whether it's microbiology or, or you know, we're working on some AI stuff now that uh, it's pretty cool, too. But, yeah, anything that goes along like that, it's nice. It's kind of fun. And what he means by diagnostics is these are the tests that you go to your doctor and you get um, when they're trying to identify what your infection is. That's exactly right. Exactly mm-hmm. right. Okay, and so do you sell, like, what does that entail, the actual sale? Is it, like, a chemical reagent that you sell? Is it, like, a kit? Like, what exactly does that look like? I sell the craziness of my mind. My my clients can actually sell, uh, it could be kits, it could be reagents. I mean, a lot of times the end result is a kit. Um, and in any of the development of anything that goes into that kit is what we help with. Okay. And so are you and- got, oh, go ahead. Oh no! I was gonna say yeah, and we've—I mean, we've—we've we've helped develop, you know, diagnostics that have been launched uh, in the clinical industry, in the clinical space. We've helped with diagnostics that work in the food space. Uh, some for personal care and pharma products too. So it's—it's it's pretty diverse, but it's fun. That's—that's that's kind of the fun side of being being a microbiologist is you can, you know, they show up everywhere and you show up everywhere, you know. <laughs> and so, do you also? Um work on building or developing these new kits or are you just kind of iterating on what's out there making it better like what's kind of the focus oh yeah we work on any of the things you just said we work from the ground up 
right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody could have an idea and be in a in a you know what we would kind of call an alpha stage of of development where they've got a concept and they want to run it through. We can help them develop anywhere from there, or we can do iterations of a of an existing test too. Mm. Oh, awesome. And, and how has business been during uh, these interesting times? You know what? Amazingly enough, it's been um, really good. I, I think the thing that, that you find out is, you know, when you look at and think about COVID, for instance, everybody wants to talk about how can you do something faster, easier, better? You know, what's the test reliability? And you've got a lot of people that do that are doing things anywhere from trying to figure out, you know, the proper code collection devices mm-hmm. um i've seen i've seen companies now start to offer um auditing and monitoring processes for the environment right for covid and you know baffles me a little bit but still nonetheless um it's something that some people want so they're willing to uh willing to help out and put them in place right and develop them for that so the mentality for that's a little bit different than when you're talking about uh, taking a sample from a human. Now, if I'm talking mm-hmm. about, okay, I got to validate for, I'm doing this on surfaces or I'm doing air. There's a whole lot of other parameters you have to think about mm-hmm. to help to help get, <clears throat> excuse me, to help get a test uh, in place. And are you finding, like, you said business is good. Are you finding more volume from the same customers or just a lot more customers? A lot. It's really both. Right. You have mm-hmm. people who want to iterate and say, OK, I've had this technology sitting here for a while. Can it be applied to this? Um, I think if you think about it, even to the point of, uh, you know, FDA is talking about the pooling test now where the the matrix for the test would be saliva. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can put five tests together and screen them and the processes for that, because we work on sampling plans and the statistical basis for what you're doing and the reliability and all that. But I would say it's both, actually. I, I think both of them. People, people are looking at a lot of new ways to do, uh, you know, kind of what's been done traditionally for a while. Or either, I'll say the methods have kind of, you know, been in the same place for about 20 years. And now you're getting a push to really see some changes. Hmm. And do, do you find, so early on, it seemed like it was a lot of chaos around, one, should we be testing more? Do we test? Who's funding the testing? Do we need to test everyone? Do we just need to test people who are sick? Have you had to kind of like educate your new customers or is that part of like what your business does as well? Or are you just trying to supply what they're asking for? No, we've done we've done a little bit of both. Um, and I think I think the the coolest thing about it is we've spent time with folks who like, OK, I've got a test. I want to validate it, right? And it's like, okay, to validate it, we're going to need X, Y, and Z, right? And then you have to understand how that test is going to work in the general population with with different rates of people being sick, right? Or understanding what's the target you're going to you're going to pick for your test. Is it going to be an antibody? Is it going to be RNA? You know, what's it going to be? And that's that that uh, that's turned out to be kind of kind of where we spend a good bit of time educating folks right because mm. then if you go to a field test right you can get a ton of samples in the lab and run them and you say okay it, it works it works fine and then when you finally get to working with samples that come from people you start to see a little more variability right i think one of the things that happened at first with some of the tests and they were talking about well these tests aren't reliable where well, you found out uh through the process that you know maybe some of the sampling techniques weren't consistent mm. right if somebody says, oh, you need to take a swab, well, 
you're not given instructions on, okay, I take the swab, I swab both nostrils, I have to go up so far into the nasal passage, right? If somebody's like, okay, I'm just going to swirl it around, and literally if you're doing a ton of work, you kind of find some sampling variation. If it's just not trained really well, right, if you don't train people really well and if the mm -hmm. instructions aren't really clear. I can hand a ton of people a swab and say, take a swab, and it could come back a multiple, you know, they would have multiple different techniques <laughs> for taking that swab, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, so two questions about that. So one, just for people who have no background, um, can you like briefly explain what is validation? What would test validation be? So test validation is the way that you get um, an idea of how the, the, um, the test is going to work in, in, the given, in a given population. So you actually go back and think of it as a lab experiment that's designed to push the limits of the test and you find out how it performs, right? Mm -hmm. And then you would want to take a large, a, a, you know, a good large number of samples to be able to say, hey, we've done enough statistically to, to be able to dis, um, describe the performance of the test. And that's the validation part of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and once you get those parameters set and you move something into, into, into the market space, I mean, I, I've rarely ever seen a test move into the market space where you didn't see something that varied from what you saw in their validation data, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's simply because of the variation in samples that you get and the variation in the way the techniques have taken them. And real-world stuff is always going to vary a little bit from what, like, your strict performance criteria might have been in your, in your validation process. But it doesn't make a test unreliable. It's just what you see when you start looking at a natural population. But, yeah, so it's just it's the process of making sure that the test, uh, you know, you, you, you know how the test performs, right, mm -hmm. with, a given, with a given set of samples, you know. It's like, it's like if, I was, if I were to go say, hey, you know, I think the sun comes up in the east every morning, right? Yeah. And 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 so every morning I get up and I look and it's in the same spot, right? Then you get to a point that okay, I, I know that it you know the sun rises in the east. Now I can verify that. I can get up you know thirty days later. I can get up and check and say, oh yeah, it's still there. And that's kind of the verification process you find a good bit with with test two where. You know, they have controls and things like that. But in general, that's what a validation is. It is the process of saying, this is how this test performs under these conditions. Mm. And it's, the science, it's just the scientific process of, of doing that. Okay, so this actually feeds right into one of the stories that we had to discuss today. So I'm going to just intro this story real quick, and then I want to get your thoughts on it. Okay, mm -hmm. so uh, we were going to talk about the FDA opens the door to rapid at-home testing for COVID-19. So the Food and Drug Administration on Wednesday opened the door to COVID-19 testing that could be fast, cheap, and handled entirely at home if companies don't find the rules too burdensome. Routine screening of people who don't know they have COVID-19 could transform the fight against the disease. These types of tests will be a game changer in our fight against COVID-19. It will be crucial as the nation looks toward reopening. FDA Commissioner Dr. Stephen Hahn said in a statement. Okay, so, so far the FDA hasn't allowed anyone to sell tests for at-home use, but just generally, what are your thoughts on that? I just heard you talk about how the test is actually conducted can it impact, you know, the reliability of it. So what do you, what do you think this, is this a good idea? Is this a good direction? It's a, it's a, well, it's, I, I would say this, 
it's a it's a good idea because from a surveillance standpoint, right, for us to get an idea of really kind of what what are the numbers in the population mm-hmm. in general, um, you, you need to take a lot of you need to do a lot of testing, especially with something like like COVID. Um, and and what I would say is, I think if the FDA handles that correctly, think of all the other at home tests that we already have. Um, you know, you can, and, and even if it's a matter of that, I take the test, but I send that diagnostic off somewhere else to be read. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't quite know the the format. I think test interpretation has to be clear, right? That if, if it's going to be a pure at home test, where the user applies the test to themselves and they interpret the results like a pregnancy a la, test exactly you took it took, took the words right out of my mouth a la pregnancy test right mm-hmm. then then that's that's you just have to make sure that whatever you do to make sure people are going to read it um and then have what are the what are the things that you, you need to do after it and a way to and a way to report it mm-hmm. right right um so uh, I, I, I'm I'm in favor of that, and I think it's a good thing too. If you're just talking about you know disease surveillance, yeah, it's 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 good because I think the more we go into this epidemic, the more we find out there are people who either have been exposed. I was going to say, and that's the other thing about what type of test would it be? Would it be an antibody-based test to say, hey, you've been exposed to COVID, you know, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to one of the molecular tests that you see that says, okay, not only have you been exposed, we're, we're saying that we can find um, evidence of the virus in your body, mm-hmm. right? So that's, that's the two differences between the two. But, you know, I don't think there's any problem with that if we're going to really say and start administering it and saying, okay, you know, to understand the, the level of, you know, A, of infection, and then B, understand you know are there some things that we can ask people to do if they test positive you know then i think it's a good idea so i i want to ask uh both of you uh this question so given the uh the type of virus it is and what you know about uh testing that's you know technology that's available what do you think likely people are going to be asked to do for an at-home test like what's that what's that testing process likely going to look like for your average consumer or citizen Well, okay, so first of all, I think it is likely to be an antibody test Mm, because those are going to be much easier to do. I can't even imagine how you do a nucleic acid test at home, (laughs) right? Why not? Just for us us newbies. Well, (laughs) you need a thermal cycler and you need reagents. Like, it's it's not going to work. Um but antibody tests, there's a lot more work put in on the front end. And then, you know, just like a pregnancy test, you just go pee on the stick. Okay. Yeah. And you look for a line to show up. So it's going to have to be one of those. My guess is this is not going to be happening rapidly because the FDA said, okay, go ahead and market all these antibody tests. And most of them weren't worth a damn. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it'll be a while. There were a bunch of them no names to call it they were just garbage right mm. you might as well you might as well have flipped a coin <laughs> and, and yeah, literally they were horrible and, yeah and literally literally they they would have been like you know you'd have been just as good off or very close to the same probabilities of diagnosis by flipping a coin mm. you know and if you especially if you didn't have symptoms that's the crazy thing if you had at least if you had some symptoms 
you know, maybe flipping a coin would be a little less, <laughs> uh, a little less uh, reliable. But mm. yeah, like 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 Kim said, it's just it's it's nuts. But I think I think the main thing is to get the information to know that which was like you know you're saying oh this was bad. Well, it's bad because uh, you know we. <laughs> It it never got it never did anything. We went through the fast part of the validation, right? Mm-hmm. Verification that it works, and and then it, it just gets sometimes it's just the variability and how the how the thing uh, how it's run. But some of them are just bad by design, you know. It's and that just, was it's not an easy thing to do. That's kind of what the question I was asking. So, uh, Cookie, when you were talking, was that just an example, or would this test actually likely be pee on a stick? for your antibody test. No, it's probably not going to be pee on a stick. It's probably going to be swab your mouth, which I'm also not so happy about. Yeah. Um, I've heard saliva tests are getting better, but I really still think you need to stick the swab up your nose. Mm. Yeah, it's it's almost like you're going to need a nasal, you know, like that true nasopharyngeal swab where, you know, you're going to you're going to you're going to cry a little bit, you know, when it when it goes up in there, but it's I think that's the best sampling thing, but some of the techniques I've seen lately I think I think as long as people are trained well to go far enough up there, there, you've got stuff that's reliable. And I think that was my first thought: is that if people are so hard-headed about wearing masks, how likely is it they're going to take the time to properly do a swab or whatever other sample collection technique the instructions yeah. say? Even yeah. if there's a YouTube about, I, I just people seem so blasé about it. I don't trust them to take a be like laboratory-minded in that moment. And take a proper full sample and take care not to touch any other surface with the swab or drop the swab and stay in the bag or yeah. whatever. So that t- to me, my thought process just as a layman is like this is a horrible idea because no one's going to do it right. Well, well I mean, I've said that's, that's why it can't really be a swab. But my my worry is that if they see a positive result, they won't contact anybody. Right. That's what I'm yeah, worried about. That's right. true. Or they'll just, you know, they'll take what they think is appropriate action. It's like, oh, I, I don't have any symptoms. I'll just stay home for three days, and yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine now. You know, everyone is so bl- – we've passed the window, I think, psychologically, where people are scared of it, and now they're just annoyed by it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and so the, yeah, I, the I, attitudes I, have know, shifted. I think people – I think you can only – you can only like put human beings under stress for so long mm-hmm. before they start to revolt mm-hmm. you know and i think it's always kind of crazy because it's like okay uh you know i you take take the the 1918 spanish flu epidemics always used as an example with this mm-hmm. right and i'm like but nobody in 1918 could be pounded by social media constantly by news reports constantly mm. right that that you know, oh, there's, there's, you know, there's a daily body count or a daily illness count. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's like, to me, I'm just being, that's like psychological warfare on people. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're just put under that type of information being thrown at you daily and talked about on news shows. And I mean, I don't think human beings were made to absorb that the way they are. And I think you're exactly right. At some point, people are like, all right, there's nothing I can do. Right. Mm-hmm. They're frustrated. You know, and, uh, it's not it's not in my part of the country. I, you know, I don't know anybody that's sick. And and I, I take it really seriously because I have a I mean, I take it seriously because I guess I'm a, just being a microbiologist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I take it seriously, too. I mean, I have, I have a really good friend who lost his mom and his dad within two months of each other Yikes. to this. Yikes. 
you know? And so, and so, no, I, I tell people it's, it's not a joke. Um, there's still a lot to learn about it, but I think people are getting, yeah, I think you're exactly right. Jokers are getting fatigued, you know? Yes. And at some point you get fatigued and then you get revolt. And that's why you see people kind of doing some of the things they're doing. Yeah. And I, I, I talk about it almost every week on the show. I must sound like a broken record, but I really feel like March, you had a 30-day window to get everyone to act right. I think everyone had the bandwidth to behave and stay home and wear a mask for about 30 days. And then the longer we move from that 30 days, the less and less people were taking it seriously or really, you know, adhering to any of these, you know, yeah. these requirements. So this has been a really, really painful civic lesson. The yeah, last I, this is kind of crazy because I'd love to hear your opinion on this, right? So I'm, I, I look at it this way. When once you got to March, and this is kind of the difference in regions in the country, too. If you look at some of the epidemiological data and I, I, give or take how people were counting cases or whatever was going on, right? And, and everybody's like, well, you know, we're going to flatten the curve. And I always tell people, if you squish a balloon, the balloon doesn't lose any area. You know, there's still as much volume in the balloon. It's just it's flatter and it gets longer or whatever else. It's kind of what we did when we wanted to flatten the curve, if you remember kind of the initial talks of it. Well, if you think about, and, and, just, and, and again, this is speculation. If you look at kind of how the virus spread in the country, um, it was interesting to say, hey, man, you know, you kind of look. It's like, wow, you know, you look at the New York area. Well, you figure it's a lot of international travel coming in there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of international travel coming into the West Coast, right? Seattle, other places, uh, Portland, um, Atlanta, right? And so the hot spot in Atlanta became – the hot spot in the South became Atlanta first. Mm -hmm. Hot spot in the Northeast became New York first, right? Um, and just speculation about it. You look at kind of what's happening now with the southern states – and I think, I think, and again, like I said, I'd love to hear somebody else's opinion on this, but I looked at it and I said, maybe what happened was we locked down people when there weren't a lot of cases here, which is what you're supposed to do. And, and we came, you know, kind of took the foot off the gas, but I think we delayed the inevitable of kind of what you're seeing now with the growth, you know, and the explosion of cases in the Southeast. You also locked people down in like late March, I think is when the first one started down South. You know, just like I said, kind of where I am, mm -hmm. and and literally, people people had been doing outside activities for months, for like a month already, months almost. Yep. You know, because kids start kids start doing baseball in February or so, and things like that. And if you're in Florida, you never stop. Mm -hmm. Very rarely does it get not warm enough to do something outside, even here where I am. So now you're taking people and saying it's very nice outside, it's beautiful, but go in the house and stay for the next two months. Mm -hmm. You know. And then come back outside when it's blazing hot. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that's gone on. This is one of the most interesting things, at least for me, scientifically, that I've seen in my career. You know, I talked to my dad. My dad says he's never seen something like this, you know, and he's 75, mm -hmm. which if you think about it in, in, in our lifetimes or in the last century, we've never seen anything like this. No. Wow. So what do you yeah, think? Okay. I, I think perhaps what what we should have done is move the lockdown. So until you started seeing a bunch of cases, you probably shouldn't have locked down the South because that's why everybody seems to be so resistant now. They've been in the house for months. Mm. Yeah. I'm With not no wearing cases. a mask and, you know. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Hey, with case numbers that are relatively low, that were, excuse me, except for like Atlanta, and you saw growth, and I kind of looked look at these numbers just to get a feel for it. I, I, Johns Hopkins has a great dashboard. Yeah, it does. And and literally, it's like, man, you're just seeing stuff that's not moving, not moving, not moving, you know. But then on the epidemiological side, right, you know that eventually it's got to go, right? You're like, eventually, this is not going to stay this way. Either it's going to stay at a really low rate for a long, long, long time, or there's got to be some places that are highly populated that where it pops off. And I think that's... I've never seen, you know, if you think about what you're taught in your virology classes, that's that's kind of it. That's how viruses work, well, I think, especially one like this one. Well, I think the problem is, I think, first of all, it became politicized. So we had yeah. some regions where they probably should have. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I said, yeah, I'm agreeing with you. Oh, yeah. So I think there were some situations where they probably some regions should have locked down, but they were resistant to it because of political reasons and mass means that you're against the president, blah, blah, blah. But I think also I think uh, some of the some of these regions, some of these states, some of these cities, I think they're equally aware of how mobile their population is. So like you said, Atlanta was a hot spot, but a lot of people who work or travel or even live in Atlanta aren't from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you start shutting things down in Atlanta, they're either going to go home and stay at mom's place or they're going to go back to whatever town they were at or, you know, that I never lived in Atlanta anyway. I just worked there. So I, those even if you can't really contain the cases like in a city basis like that. We're going on a statewide yeah. basis. New York, especially. New York is full of transplants. And as soon right. as you start closing down the fun things, those people start going back home or oh, yeah, I'm going to fly back to my dad's house in you know, Oklahoma or wherever, wherever they're from. And it started spreading that way as well. And I think that's why the numbers were so low for so long. And then eventually it exploded. As soon as they could, people felt like they could get a plane out of New York or a train out of New York, they did. And they just yeah. carried it with them. That's funny that you said that because I know somebody that I talked to that owns a, owns a house down in the Keys, but he's a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. And literally, he's like, oh, we haven't been back to New York since, you know, such and such a date. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I think where you had populations like that, that where people can get away. I, I questioned, like I said, again, what schools did, especially the universities. You know, I'm like, you're going to take people that are probably at, at some, some of the lowest risk. And disperse them out all over everywhere where there's issues, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and so, you know, I had, I had, you know, one son come from, come, uh, coming from uh, East Tennessee State University. I had another son coming from the University of Miami, right? And, and literally you're thinking, okay, now – and that was my thought. I'm like, you're dispersing people. You're, you're basically now shotgunning people who are either – they're healthy – and they're going to go somewhere where they might get it, <laughs> right? Right. Or because University of Miami has a ton of kids from New York and New Jersey, mm-hmm. a ton. Um, but I mean, I, th- I just think it's always, it's always, always, always interesting to watch. And there's other data mixed in there that you kind of have to play with to yeah. kind of get the full, the like, full picture. Well, there. I think the other one thing is capacity. I think some of these universities are like, we have a little baby health unit. We are not prepared to have 30, 46 students a day come in and try to get treatment yeah or the local hospital down the street is not prepared for our entire university population to start you know streaming in there and so i think that was a concern too we're like yeah if we stick if we stay open uh most likely these kids are at lower risk than if we just you know like you said shoot them to st louis and 
uh, New York and all over the country. But at the same time, these kids are not likely to behave. Come on. They're 18 and 19 year olds. They're going to go somewhere. They're going to go to a bar. Someone at that bar might have come from one of those places. And now it's all over our campus. And we don't have the capacity. I think that was the fear. I don't behave now. And I'm good and grown. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But, but, hey, I. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But I, I just like, like I said, I, I spend a, this is from a learning experience for, I think, for all of us in this field. This is a really, really interesting time, right? And then you get, here's the thing, though. We talked about social media a little earlier. I mean, look at how much misinformation, oh, yeah. right, has, oh, my God, has yeah. gotten kicked around by, by the fact that, again, everybody has a voice and we can kick it all over everywhere instantly. You know, mm-hmm. it's not so, just misinformation. There's also a bias towards misinformation. It seems like because people, it seems like they glom onto the misinformation more than the actual information. It's stickier. It it seems than facts, yeah. which is yeah. the more the dangerous part. I, I just think folks like affirmation, so they find the stuff that fits what they want to believe, right? And that's mm-hmm. the thing: you can't have an open debate. It's not like it's not like. You know, a bunch, bunch of uh, scientists or anybody else sitting around the table saying, here's certain facts, right? Mm-hmm. Here's certain facts, and and this is what we're going to talk about, and we can debate them, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's like, no, 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 look at this. This fits exactly what I was saying. And you go, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson's like one of my favorite people, and I was reading his book, um, Letters to an Astrophysicist. Mm-hmm. One of the... One of the He's 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 got a, a a very sharp wit and a way of going about like talking people through those types of conversations. I, I I think it's it's like it's masterful. I mean the guy's you know freaking genius anyway. But literally, um, you know to have to see the conversations and not be able to talk logically and losing that sense of you know what's real information, what isn't what's been you know just kind of pumped out for the sake of of uh of creating an issue right mm-hmm. that's the other thing i i the last thing i said and i told somebody this, i said i i never thought that we would politicize public health you know <laughs> i mean didn't. but we have been doing that wasn't the, um what was her name jocelyn elders wanted to like do um sexual education and that was politicized yep so it's, yeah it's- you're HIV AIDS. I mean, we've been politicizing public health for a while. Yeah, but yeah. not to this extent. Oh no, this is just the I feel like an extreme outcome of that. The the, the seeds of it were there. <laughs> the babies the babies were there, they're grown now. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And speaking of misinform speaking of misinformation, this actually leads into the other story we had. Stella Emanuel. Oh, had had either of you heard of this woman before last week? Ever heard her name? Never. Never. Okay. So Facebook and Twitter have taken down the viral video in which she appears saying it violates their policies about misinformation, but not before it was retweeted by the president and one of his sons. So Dr. Emanuel is a Christian pastor who's also a Christian pastor. Uh, she is a doctor, I believe. I haven't seen any information to the contrary she is a doctor i'm not sure where she got her doctorate but uh, her md but yes she is a doctor and she's she's licensed to practice Mm -hmm. i think in texas yes so she gave a speech on the steps of the u.s supreme court in washington captured in video by right-wing website breitbart they just happen to be there 
along sure. with along with other medics from a group called America's Frontline Doctors. She said that Americans were being denied a potential cure for COVID-19. Nobody needs to get sick. This virus has a cure. It is called hydroxychloroquine. I have treated over 350 patients and not had one death, said Dr. Emanuel. Thoughts? Somebody, somebody <laughs> said she's a pediatrician. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So she, she treated 350 kids. Mm. I don't believe her. I, I don't believe her. <laughs> you, don't, you don't think so? Why not? Why not? Why isn't it possible she's given 350 doses of this medication and no, no one's died? I, you know what? You know what? Maybe she did, and she gave them to people who might not have ever been sick in the first place, and she goes, they're cured. Oh, mm. okay. Mm. That, that, that's really good. That, that's really good, you know? That's true. She said, I have treated. She didn't say, I have given it to people with COVID, suffering from COVID, or near death, and then they got cured. She just said, I didn't have a death. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's why they have these wonderful things called clinical trials, you mm. know? That, that, that Where we actually use data, data, and not anecdotal, you know, anecdotal evidence. Speaking you know? of speaking of trial, uh, despite some early studies raising hopes that hydroxychloroquine could be used as a cure for coronavirus, one subsequent larger scale trial has shown it is not effective as a treatment, and the World Health Organization has halted its trials, saying it doesn't reduce death rates in patients with coronavirus. Mm-hmm. I, the only question I have about that, right? So now I'm going to be a fly in the ointment. Right. It's mm-hmm. where is where I'm reading stuff where it says, you know, uh, the people were already hospitalized and that's where they did some of the work. I, I, the only thing I would want to understand is like does prophylaxis help. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and I and There's I been no studies to tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, Kim, see, that's where I'm like, all right, you blast it and you say it doesn't work. But if there's been no studies to to eliminate what the what the problem, you know, the possibilities are. And trust me, I don't. One way or another, I don't want to see people die from COVID. The other thing is, I think drugs have to be used safely and effectively. But for me, or for the intended use, right? Because we know hydroxychloroquine's been used safely for people with certain things for a long time. Isn't right? it used for malaria we, primarily? Malaria and some other things too. Mm-hmm. I think people with lupus, lupus. take it. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I'm not. I'm not. So, um, I guess this is more a question for Kim. What would an ethical trial look like to test the prophylactic uh, properties of hydroxychloroquine? Because I would think, as a layman, you'd have to... That ethical part is the problem. Yeah, because I'm like, you have to give them hydroxy and then expose them to the virus. Right, and that is the only way you can fulfill Koch's postulates. And who is going to sign up for that? Ain't me. Ain't me. (laughs) I'll start there. Yeah, so I, I think the, the real issue is, as the FDA has been doing over this pandemic, is they're throwing everything at the wall. And so while they wait for people to, to do these these studies, they're like, okay, it's an emergency use. The studies come out and go, it doesn't work. All right, well, we're revoking our emergency use. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just That's like saying, well, just take an aspirin. I mean, it's been safe before. But if it doesn't work, what is the point? Right. Right. Yeah, I think that they're, I guess the the real question I think people have been testing or using the trial information for is like, is it safe to use? Because I think in their mind, if it's safe to use, why not try it? 
but uh, I, it gives you heart problems. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what the studies have come out with, and that's why they've halted some of these trials. It's like, well, then it's not worth it, the risk. Yeah. Yeah, the first small study said, oh, this is not good. It's it, it's We've got cardiac problems with it. Mm. That was one of the first things they said before the big study. Mm. So okay. it's not like they didn't know this was coming. But again, you have a lot of people just say it, do something. Okay, but something that doesn't work is not better. Well, let's hear a bit more about uh, Dr. Um, Emmanuel. So doc- Dr. Emmanuel has insisted that taking hydroxychloroquine is not harmful because it is widely taken in her home country of Cameroon, where malaria is endemic. Now, here's a little background on her. Wait, 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 what? wait. What? Who can told her that? Like, Professor Nigi Amboto from oh, Cameroon? stop it. No, but can we just say malaria... COVID, mm-hmm. not the same, same disease. Well, no, she's saying it's not harmful. That's all she's saying in that statement. She says it's hydroxychloroquine is not harmful because it is widely taken in Cameroon. I, I, I not, mean, that's still not true. I, I'm just telling you what the doctor said. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let, let's talk a bit more about this doctor. Um, born in 1965, Dr. Emmanuel graduated with a medical degree from the University of Calabar in no- neighboring Nigeria and has a valid doctor's license according to the website of the Texas Medical Board. So there you go. That's where she got her degree. Well, she has an opinion and she's entitled to it. That's the beauty of America, right? Mm. You have to be careful on what you say because th- there's consequences for stuff. You can say anything you want, but there's consequences for it. And she's got to be careful because what she's doing is like, you know, saying, hey, this works, this works, this works. Why not use it? And I've even said, well, I mean, you got to find out. So you use it. Right. And the ethical thing Kim brought up, I absolutely agree with. I, I just I just I think what she did the other day, you know, is is kind of like. You can't call it a cure. Well, I think this is this is the thing lay people may not be aware of, or some lay people may not be aware of. Like, for example, I work for the federal government. Now, I, I can say whatever I want on this microphone to my heart's content. I could just spout opinion after opinion about whatever topic I would like. But as soon as I state my role or position in the government and then state an opinion related to that role, now I have ethical violations. So it's not that yeah. she can't say whatever she wants about hydroxychloroquine or have an opinion about it, but she stood in a lab coat in front of the Supreme Court. So she's using the power of her her MD to state an opinion. That's where why the ethical she, why violation. Why were they in front of the Supreme Court? Oh, for the the photo the photo op. You know this. Come on. Yeah, but that <laughs> makes no sense. I mean, it looks it looks prof- it looks like you know. It looks uh, authoritative. That's all it is. Yeah, but what has the Supreme Court got to do with COVID? Like, if they really wanted to do that, why didn't they stand in front of NIH? Why didn't they stand in right. front of FDA? Why, you know, why didn't they stand in front of the cen- Centers for Medicare and Medicaid? It doesn't, it, like, they, they don't even have sense enough to pick the right backdrop. This, this is a country yeah. where people wear masks with holes because it's hard to breathe. Yeah, but they're not... They're not doctors who are supposed to know better. We're supposed mm. to be believing these people because they're MDs, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know how I feel about mm. misuse of expertise. I, so we talk about it all the time, and yes, and this is and this, like I said, so she wears two hats. 
because that's, yep. that's the problem. So she's also a pastor and founder of the Firepower Ministries in Houston, a platform she has used to promote other conspiracies about the medical profession. And her sermons are available on YouTube in case you would like to know. No, thank you. Five years ago, she alleged that alien DNA was being used in medical treatments and that scientists were cooking up a vaccine to prevent people from being religious. Now, is she saying that as the with her pastor hat on or her medical coat on? I don't know. It's all mishmash. Uh, she also you know, claims a uh, medical condition, some medical conditions on witches and demons. She says that having sex with uh, witches or demons in the dream world can lead to certain uh, conditions like endometriosis. And, yeah. Is that first-hand experience? Every time I hear somebody preach on witches, mm-hmm. they're always <laughs> African. Like, wait, wait, wait. How many times do you hear people preach about witches? Uh, fairly, I won't say fairly often, but it's been a couple of times. Ooh. I mean, uh, Sarah Palin's minister, who was also an African minister, was talking about witchcraft. Like, it's a thing. Uh, I, and it's... Hey. Te- I've hey, never Sant- heard it. Santeria comes straight from it. If you think about it, right? No, it's but like, Santeria is not witchcraft. No, it's not. It's not. You're exactly right. It is not. I'll take that back. It's not witchcraft. But I'm going to tell you, yeah, witches and demons. I'm like, okay, I, you know, no offense to anybody, but that aligned with the medical side of it and everything else. I, it doesn't go together. doesn't go together. <laughs> no. I have never done a controlled study on demons. I swear mm. that I've run into some some places I've been, but <laughs> and I think and that's where the internet can be confusing because here you have someone in a lab coat weaving those two concepts together. Yeah, she's weaving yeah. the medicine and uh, she's talking about vaccines and she's weaving that together with her her demon uh, witch talk. Yeah, I've had some pretty bad boyfriends, but I wouldn't see any of them were really demons. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to see the trial on that. I need this. I need the data. I, I need confirmation of their non-demon status and a control. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just need you to read how she explains how people have sex with people in a in a dream world. Because so yeah. they, she says that they turn into a woman. That's the demon, and then they sleep with the man and collect his sperm. Then they turn into the man and they sleep with the man and deposit the sperm, the sperm and reproduce more of themselves. She said in 2013. So she's got the whole she she's hit the trifecta. So people are not supposed to be having sex and then the women sleep with the men and then the men sleep with the men like she's got everything covered. This is she just veiled everything. all this is is veiled homophobia to me. Yeah, no <laughs> this is just yeah. nothing but veiled homophobia. Yeah. What veil? It's what right veil? <laughs> well, she doesn't her, mention her gay se- people. I guess is that's the veil. No. That's the veil. <laughs> her, se- her seventh veil is about to drop. Right. Mm. She's already danced the other six off. That, <laughs> that, that seventh one's about to go. Yeah, it's just hanging on by a thread. By a thread. She also, thinks she can pray away a generational curse that is transmitted through the placenta. Um, she's scary but she has a doctor and a medical license now I'm you know who I immediately think about I think about the parent in Texas who recognizes their daughter's doctor on TV 
What do you do when her next appointment comes up? Uh, you take your child somewhere else. Yeah. I worry about what has she given my child or said to my child when I'm not there. Or, uh, when you're oof. not there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. How many children go to the pediatrician and nobody's there with them? I think when... You have I, to be a certain age before yes. your parents yeah. stop coming in. Yeah, but you're yeah. not a, a teenager either. Like, I think I, I had a, an exam by myself when I was like 11 or 12. I, I, at that at that point, yeah, physicals that way. But I'm just saying, you, you know, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be like, oh, baby, Doctor So and So's office closed. Yeah, <laughs> we can't go there no more. We can't go there no more. I go a step ahead. She died. I, I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, she's dead. It's really sad, but we have to find you a whole new doctor. I mean, misinformation. You know, but I saw her at the story. I don't know who you saw. She's dead. <laughs> yeah. Baby, they found roaches all in there. <laughs> they did, didn't we, they? We got to, we got, we can't go back there no more. Demon you know, roaches. Demon roaches. They big, <laughs> big, bigger than ones in Florida. They fly. They, they fly. fly. <laughs> oh, but yeah, we were just talking about misinformation, and here she is. That Twitter had to intervene, and Twitter hates intervening. And Twitter was just like, you know what? Oh. Down. Yeah, it, it has to be so egregious that they're just it's like, you know what? Facebook takes you down, and Facebook took her down. Yeah, and, and she's and the, the weird thing is the imagery. It's so strange because she's flanked by uh, a white female doctor and two white male doctors. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they gave a speech as well, but it's like the the, the subtle sort of adding their authority to hers. A little weird. A little weird. That she was the craziest one, and that's who gets the press. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah, I just like because, I said, this is why she doesn't get the press, but that yes. does. It sure does, but that's why I tell people like sometimes they're like, "Oh, just Google it." We have Google. I'm like, mm, "Careful there. Mm. Slow down." <laughs> no. No. Don't just Google but anything. That group doesn't e- like barely doesn't even exist. So. It, yeah, I, I know they got more donations today, or whatever day she released this. Yeah, I'm sure she did, but like this America's frontline doctors, it you know, it's an astroturf group mm-hmm. from the Tea Party. Mm-hmm. I, like they they didn't exist. Like they got their website a week before this. Mm-hmm. They don't exist. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They don't exist. Yeah, yeah, it, it, I, and that's that's the thing though about how you can accelerate craziness or just like I said, I'm gonna call it craziness. Though I said it already, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it's out there. Seriously, wrong with her? Misinformation. Yeah, mm. misinformation. I mean, to, to to have misinformation circulate like that, and and I. But here's my thing, and I. It's kind of cool that I'd like to ask you know and say, I, I've I've made a point of trying to work really hard to to promote science literate, you know, literacy, mm. and and I go on, and at a certain point, I'm like. When when we when you can't trust and there's there's trust me it's like anything else you know people say there's bad cops out there there's bad scientists out there and and but to be able to critically think and look at things right mm-hmm. and 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 say and not to say just because it was on the internet that makes it true mm-hmm. you know I I think we that's where that level of critical thinking is what I think we we're, we're, we're falling short on. With like, at, at the level of kids coming out of school, because I mean they're being 
here we go on an education theme, but I won't stay on it long, I promise. That's but fine. It, it, it leads into this that we have now where you're like, we can't take information and say, okay, let me throw some stones at it to see if it passes any kind of sniff test to say, okay, maybe this is true, right? And 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 we're willing to turn it over to, um, you know, just just oh, they said it on the internet. They got on a white coat. She's a doctor. It's got to be right. Well, like you said, I don't. So I I take a slightly different approach to it. My my approach has been evolving. For, for years, but I'm starting to think that um, it's not so much that critical thinking is lacking. I think it's been sacrificed. So I think a lot, there's a large number of people who are wedded to an ideology where the data is not on their side. So they, they force this selectivity upon the data that they listen to. And that's why you'll see, look, she's got a lab coat, you know, and, that's, and, I, and she's to be believed, not because they don't have any critical thinking skills or they're dumb. I think it's very, it, it's, if it's not consciously uh, intended, it, it's, it's there, it's, it's consciously intended. It, they, they mean that I know that I believe these things and the numbers and data are not in my favor. I see a lot of things contrary to it, but it's part of my identity now. So I have to discount these things. And accept these things. Yeah, you're. You know what? You're, you're, you're spot on on that. That's like something that I read somewhere else. Somebody was saying that it's like you. You get the data to form the. Like I said, the opinion that supports your belief. Yes. And that and that is the wrong kind of way to go about it. I'm not gonna say it's wrong, but it's what people do. I think it's a human thing, right? Mm-hmm. So so, uh, I I don't I I don't disagree with that at all, man. I think you're you're, you're kind of dead on on that. You know. We we all kind of have a bias of doing that at times, right? So yeah, we we all have we all have that in us in us a little bit, and it it, yeah. it just doesn't usually come up in things that are as consequential, you know, as a a, a health crisis. Yeah, absolutely. Usually, it's it's around like it's around what what type of food you like. Well, I don't like Chinese food, and then like what data do you have to support that? Well, you know, this one time, or uh, look at this study: Chinese food doesn't taste as good. You know, it's things yeah. that don't matter. But when it's something that matters, we like to think that, oh, people will put that aside and they'll listen to, you know, the numbers. But that is not no. the case. That is not the case. So I think that's kind of crazy because I think the most controversial thing that goes along with that now. And I mean, to me, after looking, look, you look at the whole span of we got vaccine development going on. Um, you've got all these other physical type orders in place. But the biggest thing that's popping up right now is like how the going back to school thing, mm. especially with elementary age, uh, elementary age students, and those kids. And I mean, the teachers have to feel safe going back into that that situation. Mm. And, you know, the kids, for the most part, are going to follow what you at what they're what they're asked to do. Mm. I mean. Yeah, you know, for the, I, for the most part, I still think it's going to be hard to get six year olds to wear a mask all day. Yep. You know, and and now again, it goes back. Is that a really high risk population? No. Um, it th- that's the biggest quagmire I think we're running into now is now after pulling kids out of school, you know, March or so, or like some people didn't go pull pull kids out of school till April, and figuring out a way. To, to get them back into school. I, my, my fear is we're going to lose a whole year of education for kids. And to be blunt, I don't want to see 
you know, African-American kids or any other kids, or let's just say kids who are disadvantaged, right, who don't have a, a good system for doing things at home to, to fall farther behind in school than they may have already. And I think it's a consequence of this, of the pandemic that we just have not thought through well um, because I think we keep here. Here's that. Here's that hope. Hope springs eternal type thing. Is that if you keep going, oh, we're gonna have a vaccine. We're gonna have a vaccine. And everybody's like, okay, well, we'll wait for a vaccine. We may never have a vaccine. So at some point, mm-hmm. you have to have that. Not a contingency, but there should be you know a parallel path of well, how do we live with this until we get a vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 it does it mean that you just have to not come out of your house for another two years? And that's unacceptable, you yeah. know. But I think it's, I think I think that's what's what we're, we're at a point now. You talked about the tipping earlier. People are like, okay, I'm tired. I'm getting tired of this. Mm-hmm. Now we're really going to see where where stuff hits the fan right here, because now you're saying, okay, we're going to make these kids. We're going to take these kids and go back. And I've seen so many varied plans for getting kids back in school that it's that it's unreal. It is unreal. So. Uh- Kim, have you read anything, or what are your thoughts like on it? We've talked about it uh, before, but lots of things are changing constantly. What, what are your thoughts on opening schools? I'm honestly stuck. Um, it's always my thought to err towards the safety. Mm-hmm. But at this point, you know, I mean, there's a reason why I quit a job to go to another job, it was so I could provide more people who can work in laboratories. Mm-hmm. Because as long as we don't have adequate testing, this is a game of Russian roulette. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's ever had a child, worked in a classroom, knows that these kids are petri dishes. Mm-hmm. And they don't get that sick, no matter what it is. They come home, they have a fever for two days, they're up running around, their parents are dying mm-hmm. for the, the rest of the week, you know, the re- 10 more days. I, This is a bad idea. Yeah, I. so I'm also, I think I'm closer to where Koki is. Like, my, I, my thinking is, I know why some people are pushing for school. It's so many diff- there's so many good reasons to push for school. So one, the socialization is a real thing. That's not just, you know, some 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 blase, you know, first world problems. Your 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 child does need to socialize with other children on a regular basis. It's just part of their healthy development. And it's not good months at a time for them to just sit at home on computers and interact with people through screens. It isn't healthy. Number two, a lot of like you said, uh, underprivileged kids, they get their food from school get their food from school, they get social work from school. And I think that's the other lesson America is learning is that in America, we use our schools for so much more than just just teaching kids. It's kind of, schools are almost like the the flip side of police, where it's just a one size fits all tool. We wanna provide this thing to kids, we gotta use the school. We wanna provide this thing to the parents, we gotta use the school. Everything comes through this institution that maybe would be better if we took some of those things out of their toolbox and put them elsewhere, but we're stuck with school. So school is where you get, you know, um, parents get support and counseling and kids have access to sometimes even, you know, the nurse or medical care is the only time they're gonna be able to get treated for certain things. It, 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 there's a good reason why they want these schools open, but 
like you said, it doesn't make any sense to have the kid go back to school and then three months later their mom is either laid out or dying. It's not worth it. And then have permanent lung damage or brain damage or what have you. Yeah. There's just so much. There's so much you have to think about the way a school works. I mean, every every time, you know, we, we – we moved. I used to consider my kids. I knew what was going to happen. It's like, all right, the fomites are going to end up having me sick for about three weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, after they bring home everything from school, especially when they move to, you know, you moved somewhere new. Mm-hmm. And you're right. No, did they get sick? No. But now I'm getting the whole new strains of everything, mm-hmm. and I and I'm the one catching a cold once every two weeks. Yeah. You know, yeah. but it's 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 a point of that's a real point of of contention is like how do you really do this and keep everybody safe and i could get really scientific and say okay well, how do we define safe right what's it what's it what's like an, a number that you have to put out that's the other hard thing about this right it's like i don't know is to safe mean that nobody ever gets COVID ever you know, I mean, it's it's that's the parts of this stuff that I think about a lot. Well, like imagine um, safe, you know? K- Koki mentioned Russian roulette. So usually that's you, you play Russian roulette with a gun that has, uh, you know, six chambers. Well, imagine if you were playing Russian roulette and the gun, there was one bullet and the gun had 70 chambers. Is it safe? It's safer. What so if it had what if it had 200 no chambers? Thing, <laughs> but in public health, there's no such thing as safe. But. Here's the real issue that no one is is sort of talking about in that we don't have a federal strategy for this. Thank, so we yeah, can't I was about even to bring that define up. Mm-hmm. what safe or safer looks like. And beyond that, what we've got in the Department of Education is someone who wants to break the back of public ed in the first place. So Yeah, send your kids back. They all get sick. Now everybody's afraid to send their kids to public school. How about we just take our money and we'll either homeschool or we'll send them to private school where it's safe. Mm -hmm. That is the underlying issue that that, no one is thinking about. You've You've got Betsy DeVos who doesn't care if your kids get sick because her ultimate goal is to get rid of public schools. Mm. Yeah. That's crazy. That is crazy, and I'm I'm coming from a family where my mom taught for thirty some years, and my, you know, a fa- and and on the other side of my family, educators, right, all over the place. So it's it's not an easy thing to to you know to sit and try to make a decision on. The more I think about it, the harder it gets. You know, I think I had some different. I, I would have said three months ago, two months ago, my opinions may have been a little bit different, you know, than they are now. Um, glad I'm not like got my heels dug in so much that it's like just engraved in stone. But literally, I, I'm I'm like, you know, I, I I can see this is an unknown fear. It's not a measurable risk that most people un- understand. A really good friend of mine said that because you know it's like the difference between known and unknown risks. Um, yeah, football players willing to go back, knowing they may get CTE, knowing they may have a broken bone, knowing all these things could go on. But those are risks that they understand as part of the game. Mm-hmm. But they don't, you know. But but like trying to say what's the risk of what would happen if you were exposed. It, you know, we we get to a different side of the fence now that COVID's thrown into the thrown into the mix. Mm-hmm. I just I, I really hope for kids' sake, you know, that we find a way because 
everybody I talk to, the superintendent of schools here where I am is, is, a, is a friend. And it's like, it's just, you know, you worry about kids falling behind. You worry about, hey, if parents can't go to work, the situation at home could be even worse mm-hmm. than it is, you know? So a lot of divorces the, spurned by just, you know, not having an outlet, not being able to leave and, right. you know, have that, you know, that powwow with your, your brother or your sister to kind of calm things or ease tensions. Everything, everyone has to deal with everything in house. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We're making the we're making the village individual. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. So here's a an example of because we're not alone in this. This is a bigger world than just the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there was a story I saw that kind of outlined a little bit of how Italy Italy was hit really hard and early on. This was like the the poster child for what not to do. But now Italy's right. kind of flipped things. Uh, it says how Italy has gone from being a global pariah to a model, however imperfect, of viral containment holds fresh lessons for the rest of the world, including the U.S. After a stumbling start, Italy has consolidated or at least maintained the rewards of a tough nationwide lockdown through a mix of vigilance and painfully gained medical expertise. So here's some of the steps that they've taken. Um, Its government has been guided by scientific and technical committees. Local doctors, hospitals, and health officials collect more than 20 indicators on the virus daily, send them to regional authorities, who then forward them to the National Institute of Health. The result is a weekly x-ray of the country's health upon which policy decisions are based. This is a long way from the state of panic and near collapse that hit Italy in March. This week, Parliament voted to extend the government's emergency powers through October 15th after the prime minister argued the nation could not let its guard down because the virus is still circulating. These powers allow the government to keep restrictions in place and respond quickly, including with lockdowns to any new clusters. The government has already imposed travel restrictions on more than a dozen countries to Italy, as the importation of the virus from countries is now the government's greatest fear. So, and I think you you spoke to this earlier, Mark, it, it has to do, there's no national strategy. So I think we're always, we're, we're all talking about these individual school districts and what should the schools do and what should this state do and what should this school district do? If we had some top-down guidance where everyone was on the same page, I think we might be in a better position to think about how to open schools, but I don't know. Yeah, right. unfortunately, we do have uh, scientific and technical committees, and we do have people who work with their local areas. It's called the public health department. Everybody mm-hmm. has one. Mm-hmm. It's just that our administration doesn't care what they say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They just don't listen. Yep. Yeah, we, we have we have all of the tools. America does have good institutions, or at least it did. It's been slowly eroded and break broken down over the last three to four years. And yeah, falling I, into disuse. I, I, I think it's kind of interesting, too, though. Right? Because one of the things I always like to try to look at is just take, take a picture away from the numbers. And, uh, you know, what would have happened if if we had seen some of the things happen the way they happened in Italy, right? You can, you can speculate and say maybe, you know, out, out of the 60 million people that are in Italy, the, the you know, the rate of growth of the virus wasn't contained when, when they were going through their worst time, right? And I actually I pulled some numbers on that just because I wanted to... I wanted to kind of get a feel for, for for the differences between like Italy and the U.S. Mm-hmm. and and literally, you know, you look at something like the the um, case fatality rate, 
right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and the case fatality rate at its highest in Italy was 26.62%. If, if we had seen a case fatality rate like that, I, I think all hell would have broken loose. Um, you know, our case fatality rate at the highest in the U.S. was 7.74%, and we're sitting at about 1.73% now. Right at the same time that Italy was at twenty six point six two, we were at three point eight two percent. Yeah, but we weren't testing worth a damn either. Well, but I'm um, so now. But now here's what's happened. So today, right today, where we talk about testing, in the U.S. is running about twenty four hundred tests per million people. Mm-hmm. It right. Italy's at eight thirty five. Our case fatality rate now is 1.73%, and that's confirmed cases, right? And Kim, you know, we could go and look at the the you know, the, uh, the infection fatality rate would be lower because you got to figure normally there's 10 times more infections than we ever can count as confirmed cases, and right. you know, we could speculate. But I think I think people would have gone, we would have lost our minds if we had seen anything like that happening here. So you think you know, we need we literally need bodies in the street? before we can act that that seems like such a a a dull-headed way to go about it it's deplorable to think of it that way right and but but i think the u.s is just i I had this conversation with somebody one day and again you know any disagreement throw it out right Just, Mm -hmm. just kick 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 me in my behind about this one but i think that part of of the issue that you run into in the u.s is it we're we were we're, we've always been a country of individual more or less individualistic and i think over the last 50 years it's gotten more and more individualistic right Mm -hmm. the galvanizing things like world war ii where everybody could get behind Mm -hmm. you know kind of the actions that were going on but this is something that on such an individual level and you don't see you know the damage the same way you do is like okay we're at war we everybody's got to pull together we're not going to come out of it you know what i mean yeah i, I i'm i'm I, I this is stuff I, I kick around and think about you know you look at even at what could have affected italy they had a median age of almost 48 years old the u.s is like 38 years old you know older pop i mean all the things you go out and you look at but literally i'm like i'm like I, I try to make some sense out of numbers that are there, and then you know you get <laughs> there's there's uh, lies, damn lies, and statistics, as we always <laughs> like to say, right? Yeah. So you know, even if the numbers are off by a factor of let's say ten percent, twenty, you know, ten percent, yeah, maybe you see some stuff that's crazy. I just don't think we 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 part of the perception. And I think Italy, yeah, and right now Italy's Italy's rate of um. Oh, if I'm going to look at like deaths per capita, right? We're at six points. We're we're at three point three six per million in the U.S. now, mm-hmm. right? That's deaths per capita. Italy is at point zero nine four nine. So so either either what happened was you had a vulnerable population, and the way they handle it, the most vulnerable population took the brunt of what was going on at first. Mm-hmm. Right? You, then you throw in all of the all of the the um, 
other factors, the isol, you know, going to going into going into quarantine, and everything else gets done. You put all those in, in in place, and it drives it down to the point that there are still illnesses, but they, you know, the death the death rate from it is extremely low, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I I don't know, man. That's that's the crazy thing. It's just we're just such a big, broad, spread out country that. You know, our biggest states are now the places with the most cases, which is kind of what would have been anticipated from the beginning. Yeah. Right? Um, And if you look inside those states, you see some really interesting things going on. I just don't know what our response would have been, though. If, like, and I'm glad Italy's gotten stuff the way they've gotten it. But on the flip side, nobody likes to talk about Sweden, who took a different approach. Right? And, 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 what did Sweden do? I give Italy credit. I give Italy total credit for the way they've handled it because, I mean, again, that had to be scary when they were at that point of, like I said, that where that, that death rate was, you know, the case fatality rate was like one out of four people. Yeah, there were, body, there were bodies in houses just untouched because they died alone or yeah. they died, two old people died together. It's just sad. I mean, it's, it's, it's a sad thing. But, uh, but, you know, you look how Sweden handled this. Right, and and everybody will. I've I've seen I've seen things knock Sweden and things not knock Sweden. Sweden basically wanted to take the the, the case of like, okay, we'll eventually get to herd immunity, but and the, and then their strategy got got pushed out as um, Sweden did nothing, which wasn't true. Sweden did did say we're going to protect the oldest and the sickest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to we're going to um, kind of let the people that we think are most likely just to pass the virus amongst themselves, and not a lot's going to happen. We're not really going to restrict them. We're going to ask them to social distance. But they talked about the culture of the two different places where they say the Swedes take that personal responsibility really seriously, mm. right? And and you know us Americans, we're like, hey man, you ain't telling me what to do for the most yes, part because we are jerks. <laughs> yeah, it's just. I mean, if you ever want to see how jerky Americans are, watch the opening of any Olympics game. Everybody else walks in like they got some goddamn sense, and then uh, there's us, and then there's us. Well, yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always perplexed by the depth. Like, I always knew that oh, people aren't very empathetic or people are very selfish, but I'm being continually surprised. You know, since 2016, on the depth of that lack of empathy, like the fact that you don't want to wear a mask because it chafes your chin and you your health of your grandparents or your kid or whoever else be damned. This mask chafes my chin and I don't like it. It, It's such a baby mentality. It's so weird to me as grown people that we can't just hunker down together and say none of us like wearing masks. But let's try to do it for the next six months until we figure something out, which it looks more and more like authorities won't or aren't even trying. But uh, I I don't know. I'd hate wearing a mask, but I do it. I don't know why it's so hard a leap for other people. I I look, my my fear and here's a go because you want to make this real. My problem with wearing masks at first just came from being a black man. And, and and I'm like, okay, oh, yeah, I don't I know how it's going, what's going to happen with me walking in places, and I got you know, like a like a bandana over my face, like a cowboy, <laughs> you know. But yes, bef- I, I, before that fear, that fear may have been irrational. Before it was required of everyone, yes, that was a fear of mine as well. 
Yeah. But once they say. once they started putting up signs saying you can't come in unless you have a mask, I, I felt much more comfortable. That does that's, that's yeah, not I, a bother to me anymore. Same, same. Same thing. Same thing. But I I, I just I, I I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not as amazed by it because I think that like I said, our our streak of individualism and I used to work in Europe quite a bit. I mean I worked in Italy, uh France, Spain, Portugal um, I've worked in and the Netherlands. I mean, I, 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 and and just the difference in cultures, and I think the difference in the way they handle authority is is it. You know, we're we're staunch individualists for the most part, and and that's what makes it hard. I think that's what makes it hard, and and people who live like here and and like where I am in Tennessee really can't even imagine California is a different country as far as they're concerned you know we're, we're just such a you know a, as the landmass goes now of course we're not as big as Canada but you know but we're a pretty big spread out country mm-hmm. you know but and I think that that just creates the issue that among other things of you know I think leadership was not clear on what to do with a mm-hmm. message yep. early on mm-hmm. you know so I I, I don't know I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that's gone on. It's interesting, um, but but you know, at the end of the day, to use an overused phrase, we we Italy's numbers are down to a point where yeah, people aren't dying anymore, and that's a good thing. Whatever the true, you know, it's like anything with an experiment. Whatever the truth is, is buried in there somewhere, right? Of of understanding the exact mechanism mm-hmm. of what worked, but. The good thing is people people are not dying at 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 a rate of one out of five, you know. Yeah. And and, and even in the U.S., right? We got to get to the point where we're we're you know. But even not 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 sitting at not sitting at, at one out of a hundred, you know. That, but I, I think guess that's the thing even I'm even Italy, I think the problem is we could, I could conceivably see how we could get to the point where Italy is for a moment. But then people would stop wearing masks. As you can see in Italy, they're still adhering to the social distancing, the mask wearing, the cleaning. They're still adhering to that. And I think that we, no, even if the professionals and the doctors and the hospitals and everyone does what they're supposed to do, I think it would be short-lived and it'll just blow up again because people will see even less reason to do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Oh, oh uh, speaking of, we, when we were offline, you mentioned that um, you know, your son's going to be attending a school that you think handled reopening really well. You, you want to talk a little bit about what that looked like or oh, yeah. why you think yeah, it's good? I don't, I don't mind talking about that at all because I thought, um, you know, for things, as many things have gone wrong, you know, like I said, he's going to the University of Miami and I, I think they handled things really well. Um, and I've, I've got a way of gauging it because my my two other my two other kids are both you you look where information's coming from we've got one school remains nameless didn't give very much information one is giving more now Mm kind of catching up but you know they've done it they did a great job of a communicating throughout the entire time that those kids were off campus and even before when they were making the decisions of whether or not they were going to close campus they informed everyone but the path out of that and them going back to school has been kind of neat because you know we got we got a youtube video from the president of the university once every couple weeks Mm -hmm. uh maybe you know 
that that was explaining what was going on. So I think you feel the mere fact of informing people what was happening. You know, yeah, they folks are young, and and uh, and they could look at it, and you know. My son could look at it and evaluate it, but but we could look at it as parents and evaluate it and say, hey, you know, and I can look at it technically and say, you know, they're actually thinking of some things that are pretty neat. Um, adding more sections of, of classes to cut down on the number of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went and uh, went into the classrooms that they are going to use and made sure that everything was marked so you knew to keep social distancing rules in class. Mm-hmm. They have to wear masks. and all the buildings you cannot be in a building without a mask mm-hmm. at all um added more hand washing stations now the, the unique thing about the university of miami is the university of miami has um a, a medical school and a full-fledged hospital like right there on campus like mm-hmm. right off campus mm-hmm. right yeah and so and so they were like okay there's if there's icu capacity needed he goes we're, we have tons of icu capacity now but we've already got a plan to convert you know, X number of wards or beds into beds to handle a surge of patients. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting too that they did was I think they realized where the limits were of what they could and could not do. And so what they said to students, if you have underlying conditions, fine. You know, don't come to school. But what we've done is invested to make sure that your online experience, you can take all of your classes there for the next semester. Right. Okay. We don't want you falling behind. Okay. The other thing they did, too, the last thing that I thought was was somewhat, um, you know, unique was they flat said, if you are even uncomfortable. Right. You're a student that's just like you don't feel comfortable coming back. Forget underlying conditions. Fine. We've invested. They retrained faculty and staff to be able to deliver their their content. Um uh, online, right? So now they have stuff that's formatted exactly for that. Uh, they have six testing stations on campus, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they went through all, they literally talked about, hey, this is what we do to test kids. This is how it's going to happen. They have an isolation area for them where they will be quarantined for 14 days. They'll still get their meals, their classwork, and everything else. But I mean, so it's been well thought out. And no. I think that. Well, they aren't playing. No. no. No, no, no. The one thing they did say that I agree with, he's like, look, I can't control what happens off campus, mm-hmm. right? He says, I, and, he's, and he says, the students are going to leave the campus. Mm-hmm. He says, but I cannot control that. And then there's, then the last thing was, there's zero tolerance for violations to the things they lay out to the point of, of, of suspension. Yep. So it, it's, it's, now, it, did, he, did he happen to mention how they were going to handle dorms and extracurriculars, or is that just off the table for next semester? Dorms, I think dorms are handled uh, with um, more or less like temperature checks, and they've, they've, I think they've changed some of the things with the freshmen. They left a couple of extra dorms open because they just built a brand new complex, mm-hmm. and they're, they're doing some things with rearranging housing to make sure there's plenty of stuff in there for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the extracurriculars, University of Miami's playing football in, 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 uh, in September. So their, their sports are, their sports are, are full go for the fall. Oof. Okay. We had, we just had a big discussion about that in a group that I'm in of alumni from the Southeastern conference. And there's, there's some, there's some good stuff. It's a, it's a, it's a black alumni group. And, uh, 
interesting, interesting, interesting conversations about people feel about, you know, these, these, these guys going back to play, you know, and I, and I said, it's just a matter of a lot of times of, Hey, they're, they know what the risk of playing football is. It's the unknown risk that, that creates the issue. Um, because you know they're they're willing to take the risk of what football brings, but at some point, you know, at some point, it's going to be interesting to see. But and and there's going to be there's going to be kids. Oh, last thing I think is very important: they have to be tested before they can come back to school. Okay. So what they're going to at least do is start with a baseline of saying, "Hey, if this kid is back on campus, they did not have it before they came to campus." You know. Well, so, okay. Maybe maybe this is. Koki, you can let me know. Am, am I off track? But if they get tested before they go to school, isn't there like a window of three to four days in between the testing and being back on campus? What do you mean? So I presume they're going to get tested at home, or am I, maybe I misunderstood. They're going to get tested no. at home, and then they're going to make their way to campus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a window between when they get the results, or even if they get the results the same day, there's going to be a window between that testing and when they're actually on campus. They have There's to travel there somewhere. No matter what, you can be negative today and go out and get it tomorrow. Right. Right. So, so I mean. So they can't even say, even if 100% of the kids are tested and they 100% came back negative, they can't say that the kids who come on campus are all negative. So here's a risk management part of that, right? So then then, then what, what, what would happen is what's the probability of having – a lot, well, I'll tell you this, and we already know this. COVID was on their campus in March. Mm. 45% of the students had a respiratory illness that they managed. Um, my son's roommate had it. We think my son had it. So, mm. A, if you come back and say that population is coming back to school after they've been exposed, right? Mm -hmm. B, B, now you've got everybody tested, right? No antibody. Let's not say antibody test, but we're going to do... You know the the the, te the the PCR test, molecular test. Mm -hmm. But if you start off with a baseline of that, then what's the probability of even ten of those fifteen thousand coming back within two weeks being positive, or or a hundred of them being positive, right? So I think I think this is this is this 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 is their president's background as a public health person mm -hmm. that he's managing risk. Right. Mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's absolutely managing risk, because if not, he's not saying that's, you know, we don't have precautions on campus. He's anticipating that somebody's going to be positive on campus. That's why all that stuff is in place. Oh, so, OK, AI test you guys before you come. We have an idea of what this population looks like that is coming back. But B, I've got all these other interventions because I know I can't absolutely know that nobody's got it. And gotcha. I think that's what I appreciated about the approach. So I guess he's not thinking that, oh, if I get everyone tested, I'm guaranteeing it's not on campus. It's more so I'm hoping to catch at least another, you know, whatever percentage of those who may have it before they get here. Yeah, because if you test positive, you can't come back until you do whatever you need to do. Right. You've got to go through your quarantine uh, and then get tested again. Can get tested again. Yep. OK. And then how about uh, coming back home? Does he does he have any protocols in place for that for the students uh, coming back home because they may have gotten it the last week or the last couple of days they're there? Coming back home meaning like once they're in school and then they go back. Yeah, so they let's say the end of the semester around December, everyone's finished they their finals. They isolate them on campus. Okay, so there's a two week that's, isolation after you finished yeah, everything that, before you go the, home. The, they're going to quarantine you on campus. Okay. 
so that's that. I also thought that was a good thing too yep. because protecting I think parents and such. Is, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going to disperse. <laughs> I'm not going to again disperse these kids back to places where if they have it, they can take it to other people. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like we've got everything set up right here to take care of you. If you have to isolate for 14 days, then so be it. They, they, they. That's that's why that's why I really gave them kudos for the plan because I think it's really well thought out. Yeah, it seems like they've done everything within his power to do. It's just a shame that I don't know if this Governor DeSantis or whoever is going to you know help at all or do anything to pr- protect them once they leave campus and get on buses and planes and yeah. things that's yeah that's the frustrating well, part well DeSantis DeSantis is who he is right yeah. and I think he didn't but I'm gonna give him one piece of credit he did one thing that I thought was smart when this broke out he emptied the nursing homes mm. he didn't bring people in and that's why I think some of the, the some of the fatality rates you see in Florida are much lower than for instance what you saw in New York where people got put into nursing homes mm-hmm. right DeSantis dispersed everybody they actually learned kind of what had looked and looked and learned what had happened in New York and says I don't want to repeat that so there were some steps that were taken in Florida again nothing's a national response right yep so there's there were some st- steps taken in Florida that were actually beneficial to them early on when this went on because you know my dad's there my aunt's there that's that's Tampa's home for me Mm-hmm. And uh, and so to watch kind of how that's happened because my you know my my, my pops is there and stuff and family, um, it's been interesting to see that like I said, there's certain tactical things they did that helped them even though the numbers are you know the numbers are growing now it's growing in like the really youngest parts of the population and you're not seeing you know this this spike of of deaths and you know like like people thought it is going up a little bit but it's not been like a terrible case of it but i just think like i said this is so needy of a national response it's ridiculous it just mm-hmm. is right so people would know and i could but but america's one of those places south dakota is not new york city so that's why i think the tiered approach and some of the responses have to be have to be uh looked at the one thing and i'll 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 get Kim's opinion on this. The one thing I do not like seeing done is using a percentage to determine what your next step is because, Mm. you know, small populations are more affected by a change in numbers than a big population, right? A percentage as far as percentages go. So I, I think using per capita numbers to like set certain standards is, is the way things should be done. Um, and not, not promote things in percentages, but you know, that, kind of my opinion but i just think that's the best way to say if you're going to be equivalent in in interventions or taking steps to open and things like that that's the way that's the only way you can do it yeah i really think per capita is a better way to deal with it but you know good luck with that (laughs) (laughs) well so wait what's the what would be the distinction between percentages and per capita isn't it basically the same data no no. So what you're looking at is like I, I normalize everything for population. So let's say if I were to look at your community as a population of only 100,000 people mm-hmm. and I looked at New York as a population of only 100,000 people. So New York or instead of like New York could have 500 cases, but because there's 17 million people or what's whoever in the New York area, let's say 12. Right. Okay. 500 cases in New York is nothing compared to. 
500 cases, you know, somewhere else. Right. But the thing that would make him, the thing that would make them even is you, if you put it as a rate per number of people, yeah, it levelizes it for population no matter where you are, right? So, so okay, give me an yeah, give me a numbers example. Like, what do you mean? Well, like before, I was given given the numbers of of how many how many um, like new cases. Like, here's one right right here for for Italy, right? 108. They they had 108 per million people when you talk about cases, mm-hmm. right? That's the case rate, like like you know, at the highest. Okay. Um, if you look at where the U.S. is right now. The, the U.S., I think, is sitting at, um, I have to look, I think like 90, 90 about 94 per per 100 million. Okay. For, or per, per million people, excuse me. Let me get my, my, my mouth right. <laughs> okay. But I just think when you look at it as a rate within a group of people, it's an apples to apples comparison at that point about how bad it is. So if I'm at 50 per... Hundred thousand, and you're at two per hundred thousand. Then, yeah, you're 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 better off than me. Um, but if if I were a really small place and I went from two to four, that's a that's a oh my god, they went from two to four. You know, that's a hundred percent increase, right? Well, how many cases to go from five hundred to a thousand do you have to have to say I had? You know, if you're in a really big place. To say it's that much of an increase, right? Yeah, you get what I'm saying, or, or an increase as, as, as related to the population. I think they're, you know, they're both measures you can use. I just think percentages are dangerous when you talk about low numbers, right? That that's the thing. Or, or oh, low so if, population. So, for example, if you have a community of let's say 500 people, it's a little tiny village. One mm-hmm. per one percent would be five people. So that seems like oh one percent of them you know are dead, but it's only five people. Whereas for New York, one percent for them is something on the measure of a hundred or two hundred some thousand people, right? Right. Okay. All right. And so one is small and manageable, whereas the other is a a raging flame. Even though they both say one percent. Okay. All right. All right. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. And you just take those numbers and it just, it, like I said, it puts all the numbers on a level playing field that way. Okay. When you, when you do them as a per capita basis. And I just think that, I, personally, I think that's the way I've been able to manage looking at the data as opposed to what you see in the media a lot where it's always a percentage. You know, so-and-so had their highest jump. Well, what's highest mean? Well, highest means they went from 1% to 2%. Okay. Um, and, and, and so if I can gauge it by the number of people, like I said, it's everybody becomes the same population. So you look at density that way. Makes sense. Mm. Now, why would you, Kim, why do you think people would be opposed to that? I think people don't really understand it. (laughs) That's why. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I think you know. I think I think percentage is something that we're trained to think about. Per capita is not. Not unless uh, you're, you know, an econ professor of some kind or something. <laughs> we just don't think that way. Okay, so it's the reason why we don't use the metric system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I know in my head what a foot looks like. I don't know what a meter looks like or a centimeter. Okay, I got you. That is exactly right. All right. So, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and it's so funny because I can switch back and forth. I can do it at work. I can't do it in life. 
Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I realized why the U.S. adheres to, you know, the the royal system the, is because it's for visualization purposes. I know what a football field looks like. I know what 100 yards looks like. I know what a mile looks like. I don't know what a kilometer looks like. Like in my head, yeah. I just, yeah. So that's why it's always going to adhere here. It's going to be stuck. Okay. Yeah, it's where it's where a scientist, like especially microbiologists and stuff, are a bit schizophrenic because everything we do is in the metric system, mm. and we're we're fine we're fine in our work world, right? Mm-hmm. In the metric system, but right? I, I mean, it's it's I, I couldn't tell you the difference like between if I had to go how many organ if I was measuring bacteria, I'm going, oh, there's a hundred organisms per ounce. But if I go there's a hundred organisms per milliliter, I know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Mm. <laughs> So it's just nuts. We're we're kind of crazy that way. Oh, Oof. so that was a lot. That was a lot of uh, COVID talk. But I did want to go through one more thing uh, sure. while we had you here. Uh, so the FDA. So a while back in March, the FDA ceased doing um, in-person inspections mm-hmm. of like different um, facilities. And now just recently, they said they're going to slowly start to, you know, resume those in-person inspections. So I just wanted to kind of get you guys' thoughts on, do you think that that's a critical thing to resume? Do you think we, were they able to still do their job without these inspections? What do you think about that? Mark? I'm thinking. So (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I basically believe... I basically believe that that um, the inspections, for the most part, I think if you take most companies really want, and most places really want to do what's right, the inspections become um, more of, of the check and balance it should be, right? It's not part of the process, but it becomes a check and balance. And I think it's good to have them back, right? It really mm. is, because as much as we hate to say it at times, if people, if nobody's looking over somebody's shoulder, the bad actors have to have that that punitive side of it hanging over their head to keep them from just kind of running. I don't say running wild, but yeah, just kind of just kind of going to the point that hey, we, we can get away with this or whatever. Um, and that's both that's both where you're talking medical or even in the food industry, right? Where even in the food industry, FDA has just gotten the authority to to really do inspections, right? USDA could always do them, and it's part of the process of making any USDA regulated product mm-hmm. right but fda inspections basically fda kind of left it up to other groups to keep the food industry uh inspecting the food industry that of fda regulated stuff was supposed to do it on its own the medical side pharma side whatever else those have been those have been going on you know forever and i think because they're much more highly regulated part of the industry of, of, of they're a much more highly regulated industry Right, and the consequences for a mistake are really pretty high. Um, I, I, I'm glad to see them start bringing them back. You know, at least they were gone for a while, and I think most people probably did what they needed to do. And everybody's making adjustments now, work-wise, that that like doing something that's out of the norm just to get by. I think is like in the back of a lot of people's minds. They're just wondering how to have their employees back safely, to make sure the processes are back running the way they should be running. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess that's, to me, 
I'm, I'm glad to hear that they're being phased back in and that FDA is taking some steps along the way to make sure that the inspectors feel protected too. Now, right? It, that, that's been the side of it, I think, is a good thing. It doesn't and say in these. Oh, go ahead. Hmm? You have experience in food micro, right? Food and food and pharma. Okay. So it doesn't say in these articles, but do you think that um, the FDA is going to incorporate now different COVID protections or uh, into their inspections? Is that going to be added to like the checklist that they do when they walk through, or are they just going to resume the standard inspections that they were doing before? I, that's. Do you have any experience? that says that COVID is, is um, transmitted through drugs or food. No. I mean, I don't see how you add that if there's no reason to add that. No. Yeah, you're right. There's no evidence of it right now. So it's not about the safety of the workers. It's purely about the safety of the product that's produced. Yeah. Yeah. From the that's COVID the side. Yeah, that's the point. It's about it's about it's not worker safety. It's it's more dealing with product safety. And I, I think that's where my mind went first. Right. Worker safety falls under OSHA. There mm -hmm. we go with all of our folks again. Right. Mm -hmm. So we can find it. We, we can find somebody else to worry about the workers. But literally, I, I think uh, I think it's good when the FDA and, and a lot of people say hey, it's just more regulation. But the FDA to me is not overbearing in the frequency or the or anything to do with their their inspection services especially on the pharma side you know well i mean obviously the user fees pay for that so they're right. not going to be but so bad if right. you're paying for that right yeah exactly well you're, you're right on that one that's another thing too is like that's why it's like okay do you could that system change to make it to make it a little bit different and and Punitive audits and inspections are something that a lot of folks say, hey, you know, you get the right inspector, right? Then you're, you're better off. Oh, if we got so-and-so, we're better off with, than with so-and-so. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know, Kim, it's interesting. I, I could bounce it off you because you, you've handled probably the, the, that pharma side a little more than I have. And it's, to me, it's a side that's got a ton of regulation already written. Right. And non-compliance will get you into a ton of trouble because you won't you, you'll make something that's unsafe, you know. And I, but I think the inspections, at least looking over the shoulder, I know on the food side, they're just getting used to FDA inspections and they're going nuts. So it's uh, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to kind of figure out what's the real what's what's the real benefit. I think it's helpful to have always have somebody kind of just peek in and say, hey, all right, here's what's here's what's going on. So as a businessman who, you know, you're in pharma and you have had you do have experience in, in, in food uh, production. What when they when you hear an executive or uh, an official from a, a company say that, you know, regulations, there's too many regulations or the regulations are very onerous. What are they really saying? Because it sounds like a lot of these things are regulated in some capacity, whether it's internally through your own company's rules and, and, and standards or whether it's from the FDA. What are, what are they saying, really, when they're talking about these onerous regulations? I, I think it's a lot. A lot of that has to do with and it's going to boil down to what are you, you know, what what are you going to have to do to your product? to a comply and what's the cost of compliance and i think a lot of times when you hear that like something's onerous 
It's because they're seeing that the cost of compliance is either a it's it's too high or what they uh, what they think is too high, right? Because literally, if if they have to pass that on to the consumer, it's not like a cost that a lot of these folks can just eat, right? Out of operating profits or whatever else. Mm-hmm. But but I think that's really, and then some of them when you read them, like I, I you know I can think of the times that we were in Washington working on different different rules in the food industry and we we literally would look at like okay if we have to do this this is what it's going to take for us to comply right i could go back to when i've spent some time over there and there was a rule about listeria and foods that was coming through mm-hmm. um and it was more on the more on the usda side because just because that's where it really jumped off was on the meat side of the business okay but you know compliance has a cost when you put in a rule like that and if people weren't doing something, then they got to figure out how to do it. Now I always say this though. I'm like, compliance is the floor. You can always go beyond what the regulations say it takes to comply. Like if you really want to say, okay, well we have to do X, but we're going to do X and Y because we think it's best for our consumers or it makes a better product or whatever it is. Right. And, and sometimes it's like, okay, we just check a box. But I think when they say that, in all honesty, it has a lot to do with how are we going to be able to pay for what they're asking us to do, both from an administrative and an operational standpoint. Mm. But I mean, it, it seems like if everyone per- making whatever product that it is that they're making, if they're all making the same product, they all have to adhere to the same regulation. And so price wise, whether you eat it in your profits or you pass it on to the consumer, you're on equal footing with everyone else, right? So why, why would you even, why is that even like a big deal for you? Size of the uh, company. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay, so you can't, if I make RC Mom Cola, and I can't. is not Procter & Gamble. Oh, right. Okay, so RNC can't compete with Coca-Cola if they have really high regulation standards introduced. Okay. It, it, it regulations are much easier, easily absorbed by by bigger companies who have enough people to to implement and administer that's what happened when FISMA was passed and that's why they staged it that the smaller the company was the longer they had to get to the point that they were compliant right mm. and and so when the food safety modernization act was passed uh it was 2011 right and you're just now getting to the point that they had to, it took forever for, for it to really get written implemented it took forever for it to get funded and i think it was 2018 was when the the small food producers had to had to reach the level of compliance that were written into the rule but it's it's a cost to small small folks it's a little bit different than like like kim was saying and the big guys handling it and she's right png is different than mom and pop absolutely size makes a difference on that one so have you ever in your experience uh or is it common to your knowledge for the FDA to pass some rule or regulation that um, doesn't add to safety, but is simply uh, an destructive or malicious. Is what's the protections against that? What's the protections to make sure that whatever the F- rule the FDA pushes, it actually contributes to the safety of consumers? You know what? I have to give I have to give the FDA credit because they've done it at least on the food side, right? I haven't spent as much time on the, with the legislative stuff with any of the other things that, that we've worked for, right? Because medical devices are pretty re- well regulated. Huh. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, Uh-oh. oh, 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 o
Hold on, hey Kim. <laughs> the medical device guys claim they're well regulated. I'll I'll okay. rephrase that. <laughs> I'll rephrase that, right? The medical device guys claim they're well regulated. The food side, of the open comment stuff, it really helps to make rules with FDA that like they're not they're not as much just being thrown down on you and they're not just, you know, hey, draconian, here, do this. Right. There's really opportunity for industry input and everything else. So yeah, as, a, as a rule, there is a lot of input from stakeholders, even in medical devices. But um, the last couple of years, I spent a lot of time fighting over who has jurisdiction over certain kinds of diagnostic tests and, you know, LDTs. So you know what an LDT is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. So that that has been the, the bane of my existence. So for the most part, you know, I'm sympathetic to the FDA and what they have to do and how little they have to do it with and how overworked those people are and how difficult it is to get the right kind of uh, sh stakeholders onto some of their advisory boards. Like I, I really I like the FDA. But yeah, sometimes. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I get a feel. I get a feel for the most part. I mean, the folks that I've worked with at FDA have always had like more of the public interest in mind than than most people would think. Um, at times, I think you have you know again, industry is looking at profits and other stuff. Right. So you know they may look at something and say, "Hey, man, that that's just going to cost too much for us to do." Meaning, meaning you know it's it's going to be a hassle to change what we're doing now. But most companies adapt. They find a way to adapt. You know, and, and because they do, I'll say, you know, most of them have their consumer's interest in mind. Nobody wants to sell a product that's going to put them out of business, you know. Yeah, I just wanted to get you guys' thoughts on it because you'll frequently see the headline, you know, flash that, you know, such and such company is opposing such and such regulation. And you'll have a CEO or a talking head come on and say, well, this is going to cost the consumer such and such and they should oppose this. And I, I just wanted to get like some you know, in, input from people who actually, you know, work with the FDA. Yeah. 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 And what you'll find is often those are very big companies and they have a lot of money for lobbyists and, you know, they're also used to throwing their weight around. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's, that's typically the type of person you see on TV doing that. What you really find is that people who are very involved in this, they're at the table, they're at the meetings with the FDA. I mean, I certainly have done it, um, where people are, are there trying to discuss why this is a bad idea mm -hmm. or and why, you know, we think you should try it this way. God knows I've written my share of letters like that. How do you yep. guys feel about uh, leadership at the FDA right now? Do you think it's in pretty good hands? <laughs> Oof. Mark <laughs> is I, I I will say who, well first of all who is who is in charge of the FDA before we start? Yeah. Han Han is the, the Han is. Right now. Yep. I, I I'm gonna say this. I, I've seen over my career multiple 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 FDA changes in FDA leadership, right? Um, and I think, I think right now, right now we're, we're, I, I'd say we're on a scale of one to 10, I'd give the leadership at FDA now, probably again, going full across everybody. There's, I think there's some places that are better than others, but I'd probably put them at a, you know, seven and a half and eight. Okay. You know, I don't Kim, what do you think? Um, I'm, I try not to think about it, uh, <laughs> because I, it depends. 
I've spent so much time working on, on COVID that I haven't had much time to work with anybody else. Almost everybody that I worked with has moved into a different position or has left. So I, mm-hmm. I find Han a little bit difficult to deal with because he'll say one thing in one meeting and another thing in another meeting. Mm. And I, I think he just doesn't know the job well enough yet. Um, yeah. He came in and hit, and and COVID smacked him in his face. Yeah, he yeah. was uh, con- he was sworn in on December seventeenth, twenty nineteen. So literally two yeah. weeks later. Now deal de- deal with this. Yeah, exactly. So I I have to cut him some slack. I have definitely. I think Peggy Hamburg was much better, um, but she's been gone quite a while. Mm. Yeah, Ham Hamburg, I liked. I I liked her. I, I just think I just think overall right now, like you can that's you know, the point that the guy's only been there since December. You know, and, and please, that's that's uh he got he got he caught he caught a sledgehammer upside the head with this thing. So it's gonna take time. It's gonna take time. I, I do believe like he's got some good some good people around him though in certain areas. That's and that's that's what's helped as much as anything. But yeah, for the last seven months, man, this guy's had COVID to deal with. Yeah. Whew. Well, that was a lot we threw at you, and you've been a trooper. <laughs> oh no, that's cool. That's fine with me. I'm hey, yeah, this kind of stuff I love to talk about, you know. And uh, it's a, I personally it, can't believe how well behaved you were. Oh. Hey. <laughs> well, now I feel like I've been cheated. No, you cheated. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to embarrass you the first time I do something for you. you know? Oh no! Oh, oh. You, you give us too you much credit. You, you give us too much credit. <laughs> it, the the show, name of the show is Molecules and shit. <laughs> so you don't got to worry about that. <laughs> it's, I'll tell you what. You know, and and shit part of it is like. I I got some man shits for you, but you know <laughs> we should probably call a segment. We should call a segment like, and shits. You should know that that Mark and I met each other at the annual meeting, and he was so buck wild. <laughs> it just like I can't believe he's somebody's dad, and he's like behaving like a regular person, and he is buck wild. <laughs> was there liquor involved? Oh, I don't need liquor. He doesn't need it. <laughs> <laughs> Wild and sober. Okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, one one time, so I had won a fellowship. I don't remember what it was now, but some fellowship. And there was this giant picture of my big fat head. <laughs> and, like, all over the place. And so I'm trying to ignore it because uh-huh. it's a giant picture of my yeah. big fat head. Mark's about, oh, you are so famous. I just called the hotel and they know where you are. So let me speak to Kim right now. Wow. <laughs> the hotel has no privacy. Ugh. Yeah, right now. Let no, but he's now. making it up. But it was just so, I was like, <laughs> I was already embarrassed and it was just the funniest thing. Oh. Let me speak to her right now. No, right. she's at the Radisson. <laughs> yes. yeah. Let me speak to her right now. <laughs> <laughs> got, to, got to speak to her right now. <laughs> we, well, we've had some good times. Had we good have. Time. We have. I'm, I'm up somewhere slapping people in their heads and stuff in a bar. He's and, not right. Oh. He's not right. You, you guys got in a no, fight? No, I mean, they were, they were love taps. Kim, remember, they were love taps, yeah, right? Uh-huh. 
they, they were not they were not like they were not we like that you know? bars like we did all kinds of yeah <laughs> okay what shenanigans are you guys what, what are you talking about now did you get in a fight at a bar Oh, no, 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 no. Oh. no. It, was a, it was a group of us together, and they were my love taps folks. I was kind of, you know, pop them on the head. It was all good. <laughs> like I said, fuck, why? Uh-huh. Pop them on the head. It, it was all good. It was all good. Well, eventually. We always find some crazy place to go. This is before I worked for this company. Yeah. So it was different, you know. Yeah. I was, oh. I you think I was in grad school when you, you were out, but I was still in grad school. Hey, hey, the road trip, the road trip we made in Dallas to that. Oh, my God. Spanky. Spanky. <laughs> Where is Spanky's? It was a bar. Woo. <laughs> we rolled into Spanky's. Boy. Where, wait, wait. Yeah, where, that, where is that? Is that in Maryland? It's, no, it's in Dallas. It's oh, in Dallas. Somewhere. How many? Man, there had to be like twenty of us in cabs going out there. Yeah, it was. It was hilarious. <laughs> oh, you guys were at a conference, and you just made a trip to the to the bar. To the oh. bar. Ah, okay, okay. To the bar, to the club. Young, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely have to add Mark now to my list of people who I want to visit when this is all over in twenty twenty five. Hey, I guarantee anybody <laughs> who visits a good time. Absolutely. Good time. You might not remember it the next day, but. Yeah, it might, you might, you, you, but you, but you're gonna. Be, all you're gonna say is, "Ooh, I had a good time." Hey, I've got, uh-huh. I've gotten drunk many a time. I've never blacked out, so I don't think I just, I don't think oh. I have that constitution. So, good. No, no, no. I don't like people to black out. Okay, good. All right. You may, I'll remember. Whatever happens, I'm gonna remember. I may, regr- I may regret it, but I'll remember. <laughs> Kim, 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 and I, Kim and I go back to go back. You know, that whole Spanky's trip was, that was epic. <laughs> <laughs> Because was, let me tell you how long ago it was. It was when Madonna was wearing those bustiers, and somebody came to Spanky's in a Kmart bra. Oh yep. my god! Uh-huh. Oh yeah. yeah, with the cones. We got stories. Oh my yeah. goodness! And a, and, a, and, a, and a Kmart and a Kmart bar, and it's like, hey, a bra. I mean, I'm just like, it's like you can wear a bra to the bar. And I mean, it's like you know. I thought you said this was Dallas. I don't know why y'all. Yeah. Why are y'all it surprised? Is Isn't it hot there? Yeah. It's hot. You know. Sometimes yeah, you got to wear like a bra. It's, it's not you don't so wear hot. your drawers. You mm. don't wear drawers to the club. <laughs> Flash forward to 2020. Flash forward to 2020. You know. Yeah, nobody w- wears any clothes now. But no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on now. This ain't Magic City. Or well, apparently Magic City has the best wings. I, now I I have my mouth set on Magic oh, City wings. That? Yeah, they said it is so good. The wings are so good. Yes. They they had a guy. He wrote an article about how tasty the wings were, and he said that's why he went there. The wings were so good. Yes, the wings were so good. He said they weren't even stripping because of COVID. So he went there for the wings. NBA player? Yes. It came out of the bubble? Yeah, bro. Bro's got wings named after him. So all I got to say is he done dropped some dollars in Magic City. Yes. If 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 he's got wings named after him. Oh, he, mm, listen. Oh, my. He, he's dropped dollars not only on wings, but on the floor. He's he's uh-huh. he spent he spent some money oh, there. Yeah, it's, it, make it rain my ass. It's been a hurricane up in there. Uh-huh. I, bet, I bet you he spent so much money they've comped him wings. I don't think he's ever spent a dollar on wings in that place in his life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they're good free wings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I'd still we, rather go to the varsity though. But yeah, so he got he got to kill the varsity. She experienced the varsity with me. Wait, you want? No, no. What do you have? I was what like, well, <laughs> and he walked off and left me. Yeah. Wow. I mean, fast enough. <laughs> back then in Atlanta, back then, you know, the varsity's become a little ki- uh, a little kinder place now. But it was the old varsity when I took Kim. It was like, literally, if you could not order in code immediately, that they, they would ignore you. They'd leave. Yeah, he just walked off and left me. I'm like, what do what I do? I feel like if, if I worked long enough in a bar that sold two things, beer and wine, I would be upset too if people took forever. Like, what do you want? Yeah, yeah. It, you're taking yeah. too long. That's I only have, I only sell two things. <laughs> yeah. What do you have? Well, I mean, you know, the varsity's guy. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a Georgia landmark. There's two of them. One, well, there's more than two now, but like the two original buildings. One's in downtown Atlanta, right across from Georgia Tech, and the other one is uh, in Athens. And literally, we were at the one across from Georgia Tech, and it was like, he said, he looked at Kim, he looked at Kim, you know, with his teeth looking like he had been smoking dynamite. And, uh, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, smoke dynamite. <laughs> right. So he had no teeth. Wow. Well, he, 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 he had, had a few. A few. He had, <laughs> he, had, he had three of them, and they were fighting. He had a couple chicklets in there. <laughs> Couple of chocolate chicklets. Okay. Yeah, boy. I mean, it's like, hey, if he sneezed too hard, somebody's eye was gonna get put out. <laughs> and and now, this is the mark I know. Yeah. It's sad because I yeah. know exactly what he's talking about. I've seen these mouths, the yuck mouth. Yeah. Yeah, the yuck mouth. <laughs> they call me yuck mouth because I don't brush. <laughs> and uh, but but I'm telling you, so he Kim walks up and it's like, in at first first you know kind of got that little Georgia twang going. What do you have? And Kim was like. Uh, I was like, oh, here we go. And he just, that was it. He just <laughs> walked and off. And I mean, he, he had his little paper varsity hat on sideways. He gave Kim the side eye and took off. Mm. Just walked away. Like, walked okay. away. Okay, now, did you ultimately get your drink? No, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's food. It's a food yeah. place. Oh, you know, like, oh, oh, like, okay. Like, I mean, it's, it's like you want just hardcore chili dogs, burgers, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's there. And Kim, Kim, Kim's like, and I said, you know, there's a certain way you have to order and they'll let her get away without ordering in code. Right. So if you mm. want, if you want, uh, uh, a hot dog with nothing on it. Cause they come with chili. Okay. Right? All right. And let's say you wanted to go, you say, you tell them you want a naked dog walking. Right. Okay. And so Kim's there, uh, and he was like, and I just, I was sitting back there. I was like, yep, I knew that was going to happen. He did it on purpose because, you know, he went to school in Georgia. He knows this place. So right. what is it they have against customer service? It's not, it's not like they hate their customers. Yeah, it's <laughs> cool now, though. They're a lot better. I mean, I think I think times have changed. And that was part of the atmosphere was that if you didn't get order, you didn't order, like, fast enough, you're going to get straight dissed. You were, gone, you were done. <laughs> and that's what happened. Big, yep. Like, what? Oh, I'm not even mad about it. It was just funny. It was funny. That's why we did it too. I'm like, she's gonna laugh. Kim's gonna die when this happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but, you know, even think about it. It was but, a setup. Buddy have, and that's all he can say. Buddy have, why? Because he, he had no teeth to enunciate anything. <laughs> and that's why he walked off. Because like, oh, she's about to ask me a question. I don't got the, yeah. I don't got the teeth and tongue support to, oh, to <laughs> answer this question. He didn't. He didn't care. He'd have been like, baby, let me tell you, I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> and. and not. And she would have been like, oh, my God. But no, the food, I mean, the dogs and stuff, they're good. They're really good. And it's kind of like a a landmark. But like you go there. But it was funny. 
Yeah, but you go there like on a day of a Georgia Tech game, and it's just it's smashed. It is, it is oh. unreal. So, uh, I remember visiting places. I remember. <laughs> yeah, we used to be able to do that. Remember, we used to be able to like get it on a get in your car or on a plane and go to different places and do things. Man, those yeah. were the days. With other people. Remember With other people. Oh, now you're being crazy. Now you're talking crazy. Yeah. Now you're talking crazy. <laughs> yeah, but, um, remember you used to like I, I, you used to go to restaurants and order food without a mask. Oof, scandalous, I, scandalous. Just <laughs> scandalous. I went to uh, my last flight was early in March, and that was it. I mm. was gone, done. I haven't been on a plane since. Won't be on one the rest of the year. Ugh. Man, no, I've been on a plane three times since then. So. Oh, you have? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had to get a job, so true. You know. True. true. Nestle, like I talked to somebody the other day. Nestle's told all their employees they're grounded. Mm. It's like you're not going anywhere. So what? One hundred and sixty, hundred seventy thousand people worldwide done. That's a lot. Yeah, it's gonna be Zoom meetings for a long time. Yeah. 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 Get your webcam updated. You know. Yeah. Okay, well, don't and don't go on the plane scratching instead of coughing and see what happens. Yeah, kid, kid, kids are gonna be. Ugh, if anyone who under the age of ten in this era, your kids are gonna be fucked up. It, 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 yeah. There's no way around it. They, oh, they're gonna, they're, they're, look, they're grandma has grandma has legs. What? Yeah. <laughs> what is this? Mm-mm-mm. Mama, mama, I want to go outside. No, mama. <laughs> nope. You know, just getting mad at them because they're home. Mama, I need another sandwich. No. No. Ah! <laughs> or they're, they're, actually, they're watching commercials. It's like, can we go to Olive Garden? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> no, they will drive no. by they will... and they'll throw the food. I'll, I'll order car. it. I'll order it for you. <laughs> I don't want to go no. out. Nope. <laughs> no. Mama, what you mean I can sit inside? <laughs> no. What? You mean we can actually go inside the place? Wait, yep. McDonald's has oh. tables? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Eat inside. What are you talking about? It, it's going to be the strange generation. It's going to be a yes. It's going to be a strange generation. We're going to be like we, we think we talk bad about kids now. Give it three, four more years in the midst of COVID. It's going to be really strange. Oh my god! It's First dates. Like, What's a blind date? What? What? How do you do that in the era no. post COVID? Like what? What is that? Nope. Nope. No, well, here it is. I'll tell you just from the era of, of having uh, young adults is that dating is so different now. It's ridiculous. Blind date, they know everybody from Instagram, Twitter, yeah. mm-hmm. Snapchat. Like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Like Griffin knew tons of people going to University of Miami simply by there's a Snapchat group. All of a sudden, bam, they're all down there. They know each other. Oof. You know so it's not like the old days you'd walk into your room and there's somebody in there that looks like he's a mass murderer, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know ahead of time he's a mass murderer. I saw yeah. he, he put it on Instagram. I saw his victims. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's got he's got his stuff on uh on 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 his uh, Instagram. You see every picture, you know. Actually, so, we're so old, we say Instagram. It's TikTok. Come on now. We're so old. Oh, TikTok now. TikTok. <laughs> Go on now. It, wait, did, it is? Did, is it? Donnie, did Donnie get rid of TikTok today? I tried to. Mm, I don't think that's how that works, but what do I know? Agent Orange tries anything, though. We know that. He right? t- I, I, I was telling my fiance earlier, it's like, you have to realize he's not passing policy. He's passing, like, commercials 
to his mm-hmm. constituents. That's all it is. It's just commercials for his constituents. Look what I did. You should vote for me again. That's all it is. It, it's nothing consistent. There's no uh, messaging behind it. There's no logic behind it. It's just this is a cool thing I did. <laughs> it's, it, that, it's if, if you look at it through that lens, it makes a lot more sense. It's, it's the most cool thing I've ever done. It's just nobody's been as cool exactly. as what I just cooled. It's so cool. I cooled it. I cooled it twice, to be honest with you. Oh my and, God. And it's, cool. it's so cool. It's some so some would cool. say it's hot. Some would say it's hot. Some, some, some would say, <laughs> but, but today I just decided to be this cool. Because other days hot is bad. It, it, it's, oh my God. It's just, it's word salad. It's word salad. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> ugh. Word salad, chop it up, bro, chop it up. Ugh, but oh, yeah, it's been great to have you with us. Uh, I, I can't wait till you know we can actually you know have a meetup. We can have a meetup with all the the guests that you know Koki knows, and we can have a great big happy hour. Oh, <laughs> and just talk science and shit. I think that would be fun. Have like science a, and shit and do whatever else, man. Because it's like you know you try you try to have a good time. You try to like live somewhat normal right now, but it. it you know, the fact that people saying, oh, it's never going to get back to normal. It's like, you, we either got to learn to live with this stuff or, or something. It can get or, better or, than this. Well, it's gonna, it, there's going to be yeah. a new normal, I think is what they're saying. There's going to be a new normal. We're not going back to the old normal. That no, old normal you, is gone. I, I actually made a thing. Though. I said, the next person I heard say new normal, I'm going to put my foot in their ass. <laughs> and, and, and literally, literally, I'm so tired of that phrase. It's true, though. You can't get away from it. it there it will be I, a new normal. You, you can't. <laughs> You can't get away from it. You're right. You know, it's like it's like is that what is that what they ran around and said though? Like you know, when the slaves were free, well, God yes, damn it, isn't normal. They should have because <laughs> black people gotta get they can go all over everywhere they want to go now. It's new normal. You know, it's like you used to be able to whip them. Now we have to use lawyers and judges. Ugh, Jim Crow. <laughs> new normal. Oh, <laughs> yep, new normal. Yeah, <laughs> let's pull the rug. Pull the rug from out. From out. It's well, like, it's all good. It's all good. No, I've had fun. I've had fun. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, and uh, so if for people who listen to this and want to, you know, find you online or communicate, or if, is there anything you want to let people know where you know what what you're about? Yeah, I mean, literally, if you ever, if anybody ever wants to get in touch with me, it's really, really easy. The company's called MC Squared, and uh, and it's it's MC and a two, or uh, as written out as MC with squared behind it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but you ever want to get in touch with me? It's marketmc2e.net. Um, I mean, easy enough. Shoot us something. Got a website, www.mc2e.net. Um, you know, see some of the things we do. We got some other, some neat junk we're getting ready to do on, on uh, just training and education type stuff. You know, little things like this. Got a, got a, a, a site we pulled together and some stuff that we pulled together called Knowledge Drop to do micro training. You know, and I don't mean microbiology. I mean small snippets that people can get and take really easily. So, I'm 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 having fun. I really am. I'm having a ball doing this stuff. And uh, but if anybody wants to get in touch, they can use either of those. I'm happy to talk to anybody that may want to talk about any of the stuff we just talked about, plus uh, other stuff. You know. Awesome. Do you got? Do you have a social media, or are you mostly function through email? Um, you know, mo- mostly mostly email. Uh, then, like I said, I've got the website. The the we're kicking up a new social media bunch with with uh, Twitter and stuff like that within the next month. Okay, so awesome. So we kind of pulled down and let it let that one the old one go. But I got a really good friend that uh, does a much better job than I do at it because I'm not I'm not gifted at that at all. 
Um, I, you know, it's like muddling through anything else. But yeah, no, they're gonna help me. They're gonna help me kind of get this stuff uh, reformatted, cranked. But I'm, I'm, I'll send you guys the, uh, the 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 new stuff as soon as it's done. But that should be kicked kicked off and done like within the month. Nice. Yep. And Kim, you want to remind the people where to find you? You can always find me at Koki Talks Trash. And you can find me uh, at P Funkin' Around on Twitter. And uh, you can also follow the show at You Know Molecules. It's capital U K N O W Molecules if you want to hit us up or ask any questions. Yeah, my Twitter. My, I got I to change my Twitter handle, man. I got to get a new one. I got to get a burner account, you know, with, oh, with my science stuff on it. Oh, it's easy now. Just put a bunch of numbers behind it and don't put your picture. You yeah, get, I get I, so I, many followers you know, my, that way. My, my one Twitter handle's uh, Lace It Up Sports, but that's for my training business. So that's totally different. Mm. But to talk trash like this, I think I need to. I need to have a little something spicy. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a friend named Boris. He can help you with that. Oh, oh my god! No. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Does, All right. does, does he? Does he still hang out with Natasha? Or he what? he sure does. He hangs out with and Natasha. Wolf, what is it? Moose and squirrel. Moose and squirrel. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm trying to find moose and squirrel. I feel like this whole presidency has been the revenge of Boris and Natasha. I, re- I really do feel like they're behind it all. And moose and At least squirrel. Some of it. Yeah, we're the moose and squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Excellent. But yeah, that's a deep cut. But thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, keep track of us online, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>